All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to a, another Sunday dose of Jesus is Dope. And uh, <clears throat> my voice, I'm going to have to clear it a few times because I was yelling at a certain football game a lot yesterday, which was <clears throat> amazing, but my voice is kind of gone. Um, and uh, depending on where you live or when you're listening to this, today is a beautiful snowy day in Michigan. And uh, yeah, it's restful. So let's jump into uh, where Jesus takes us next. Last week, we looked at kind of his high view of the scriptures as we talked about. And what he's going to say now begins to expand, change, and challenge the way people then understood it and and still intends to do the same for us. Um, and so we'll read today Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 22, <clears throat> which says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it is. it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. (laughs) And that is a rather daunting reading, where Jesus has, has left the Beatitudes, established this calling for light and salt and flavor in the world, mentions and and talks about like his view of the authority and the trustworthiness of scripture, that it's not like, I'm not here to just get rid of the Jewish religion. Um, But, but there's something higher that, that we're called to something more that we're supposed to be. And so we'll, we'll go back to, and just start with verse 20 and kind of break this down. So verse 20, we'll read it again. For I tell you, That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that um, sounds daunting today, but to Jesus' first hearers, it would have sounded impossible. Impossible. And that was Jesus' point. So first, the first part of the sentence when he says, for I tell you, this is something Jesus is going to start doing a lot. Like you've heard it said, but I say. Like you, you have heard it as... Uh, maybe general knowledge um, as something people assume to be true. But I'm telling you that there's something more true. There's a higher truth. There's like, he wants to expand the way we think of uh, our relationship with God, which then people didn't really think about a individual relationship with God. They thought about a collective community relationship with God, a covenant relationship. Um, And so Jesus is, is saying like, look, you've heard this, but I'm telling you something is different. Something's more true. Something's um, higher than that. And, and so it'd be kind of like um, if he said, if he was here today and he, he said, like, you've heard it said that God only does for those that do for themselves. Uh, like that is a, a phrase I've heard a ton over my life. I think a lot of people kind of hold that to be true of like, you know, God takes care of people, but you got to take care of you. You got to do for yourself. And I, I don't exactly know what Jesus would say, but I, but I think he would, well, one, he would just probably say that's not even in the Bible. <laughs> like that's not even a scripture verse, but we can kind of believe it is. And so he would invite us to know something more true than sort of just like a fatalistic work hard for yourself and hopefully God will take care of you. And if life's not going the way that 
you think it should or others think it should, then maybe it's like you're not working hard enough and therefore God's not taking care of you as a response. But anyway, that's off the topic. My, my point is just that he's he's saying you've heard it said, but I'm going to take this farther. And, and so he starts here uh, with kind of murder as the example. And then he's going to talk about lust and talk about praying and talk about fasting. And he's going to talk about kind of like these, uh, I'm using air quotes, big sins in the world of religious people and religious rituals and how if we misunderstand them um they are not only empty they lead us to emptiness they lead us to death they don't save us uh as an example jesus would get in debates constantly with the pharisees about the sabbath this very very ritualistic rigid do not work and you have to rest and again they thought collectively communally um that like your sin affected them and the whole community and made God mad and they never wanted to go back to the exiles and the stories of the Old Testament stuff. And so they outrightly judged each other. Um, they outrightly corrected each other. Uh, they didn't ask permission. If, if you were Jewish and you were doing something that was deemed as work on a Sabbath, they would yell at you. And Jesus, in, in one of these moments and interactions, he says, the Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath just reorienting the order of things, that we're here and the Sabbath serves us as an invitation from our God to rest. Tons we can talk about on Sabbath at another time. But as we look here around murder and other things, Jesus is doing this. He's helping us be reminded that it is not the ritual and the religious practice that saves us. The whole point of any ritual and practice is to help us be more connected with our Savior. Um, and so <clears throat> when he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, and if you remember, righteousness is doing what is right according to God. Um, that's like a good scriptural definition. So he, unless your righteousness, your actions, doing right according to God, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This sounds beyond impossible because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the ones who like did it the best. And yet everyone knew they still weren't more like the heart of God, at least not the heart of God they wanted to know. Um, they weren't more loving. Um, but, but it would, it, you know, for, for most of the people listening to this, they would have gone like, man, if the Pharisees can't do it, uh, I might as well give up. Which was actually kind of Jesus's point. Um, because it's not about us trying to perform spiritually to earn God's love. Uh, it's, it's what Jesus is a, talk, would talk a ton about and what he established through the cross for us. And we'll look at a few other verses to kind of play this out as we get to the murder conversation. But, but Jesus is saying, like, if you just want religion, then that's all you'll get. And you can take it to its full extent. And therefore, your righteousness has to surpass uh, the best of the best. You have to try to become perfect on your own. And while we kind of readily accept that no one can be perfect and it's okay, they did not accept that. Um, the idea was, you know, like we, they had to work to be really perfect to avoid exile and God's judgment. And that's how they saw religion. And, um, you know, it wasn't just following the 10 commandments that were given to them in, in the Old Testament Exodus story. It was the other 600 plus laws that they added around to protect the Ten Commandments. Um, you kind of think of it like there's the Ten Commandments were the center 
don't, you know, have no other gods before him. Don't use his name in vain. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't steal. Um, don't commit adultery and stuff like that. But then they would add these layers, these kind of concentric circles of protection and boundaries and rituals and rules that had to be followed to protect their holiness or their purity. Um, and the idea, the hope was that in, in being perfect enough and trying hard enough in, in following all the rules that, that somehow that would save them or that God would have mercy on them and that God would bless them. And they, they forgot, and we do this too, that God's invitation is for us to bless other people and through us blessing other people, God will bless us. Many, many times we want it to be blessed and then when we feel blessed enough, sufficiently enough, then we'll go try to be a blessing for other people. And a, a lot of what Jesus' teachings do for the first century Jewish culture is he's indicting an empty religious system. And so they had made um, <clears throat> this kind of whole culture out of, of trying to follow all the rules, which is exhausting. Um, even if you're by nature uh, a rule follower, it is still exhausting to try to always do everything right, to do everything perfect. Uh, because, I mean, perfect is just a terrible burden. And, um, and so if the Beatitudes, where we started, was Jesus <clears throat> flipping upside down what they thought they knew about a good life that's a full life, that's a blessed life, um, and indicting the emptiness of their system by, by saying, no, you're not, you're not blessed because you are wealthy. You are blessed when you are poor of spirit, blessed when you are meek, not blessed when you're powerful. He's about to take that to a whole other level here. And they had this, this system and culture built around the rules. And, you know, if, if you hadn't made any like public mistakes that everybody knew about and you uh, sort of, you know, kind of followed all the rules, then everyone thought you were a good person and they would mostly leave you alone. But if you were someone that had made mistakes or come from a bad past, um, like it was like there was a spiritual caste system for sins. Uh, I mean, we still do this in the church today. Like lots of Christians get very bent out of shape about people who have sex outside of marriage. And there's an appropriate, um, I don't know, disappointment or sadness or thing that comes from, from understanding it. Like that isn't God's design. He, he designed sex to be really beautiful and powerful and to be kind of protected inside um, these boundaries of his created intent, whole different topic. But, but Christians get really bent out of shape when they find out someone's sleeping around or had an affair or whatever. And the consequences often, especially like an affair, are, are horrible. But the sin itself is not worse than the sin of, well, being judgmental or, um, or struggling with gluttony. You might not know this, but that gluttony as is, is thought of as a sin because it's a way of, you know, it's like we have this emotional relationship with food and we eat and crave lots of salts and fats and sugars. And then we get really obese and we're out of shape and there are all kinds of health consequences that come from it. And so without thinking of it as like a religious sin, it's just not good for you. It's not the way you were designed and created to be, to eat. But when you think of it like sin, well, most Christians um, don't get bent out of shape about gluttony. People don't get mad when they see a fat person walk into church and they're like, oh my gosh, they are a sinner. But they do when they find out, you know, a boyfriend's living with a girlfriend kind of stuff. Anyway, 
the that we still so my whole point in, in that rabbit trail was that we still have kind of a caste system for sins today back then though they had not just a caste system for sin they had a caste system spiritually of who's in and out right men were better than women uh born jewish people were better than non-born jewish people um and and the non-born jewish people were better than the Gentiles who were not Jewish, not following any of the laws. So they had all these caste systems set up in the way that they understood who who's in and out, who's higher than the other, who's better than. And and then it was really sad. Like if you were if you were sick, um they would assume like God doesn't care for you and therefore, you know, you're obviously are lower on the spiritual spectrum. Or if you were born with illness or blindness, it was assumed God cursed you or your parents did something, so it's your fault, again, lower. Then if you had made mistakes in life, if you had you know, been divorced um, or caught in adultery or these different things, you know, you're shunned. Or it, like if you were a barren, a woman who could not bear children, totally shunned. And so uh, people would see you like people with leprosy. Again, it was a contagious disease and they didn't have an understanding of germs and that kind of stuff. But but they just treated them as unlovable, unclean, um, and shunned them. And so Jesus, in this verse 20, what he's pointing back or reflecting back to the people of God, quote unquote, as, I, as ironic as that can sound, just like, you know, people in church today are supposed to be the people of God and loving, but so often we fail and we're not, and that can be really disillusioning. Um, but... Jesus is saying, if you're so concerned with your standing with God um, that you become judgmental and condescending and full of arrogant and, and evil hatred towards others, then you have completely missed the point. So look, you want to be perfect? Then go try to be perfect, but you'll never get there. But what was so sad is like his commentary on his Jewish culture was that you try so hard to be pure and unclean before God that you treat other people as less than, um, and, and you're, you're condescending. And so, again, Jesus is kind of trolling them through this process, this teaching. And he's, he's indicting even the Pharisees who would have been listening to him and been like, if your righteousness surpasses mine, please, nobody can. Um, but he's just trying to point that, that the ultimate end of where religion and rules and chasing perfection lead is, is death. It's emptiness. It's exhausting. And it's a burden we weren't made to carry. Um, and and we, we can't. Um, all right, so that's kind of the setup. And then what Jesus's kind of first example of this is going to be is murder. So, um, and when you think of it, it, I mean, it just plays really well. Jesus is like, some of you have a really low bar. You think because you haven't murdered anybody that you are perfect and, and holier than thou and better than other people. Are you kidding me? Right? Not murdering someone's a pretty low bar for for judging how loving you are or how caring you are of other people. So verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, the difference between some of the examples I gave earlier is Jesus is, is specifically referencing one of the Ten Commandments, what they would see as scripture and law and authoritative. So it wasn't just common knowledge and cultural values. This was like in the text, had been with them for centuries as a people. Um, and so what he's referencing like to the people long ago is this, you know, go read it in Exodus, the Mount Sinai moment, Moses, let my people go, stuff with Pharaoh, plagues, and then they wander for 40 years. Um, <clears throat> so he's reminding them 
of not just the Ten Commandments, because everybody knew that in his culture, but he's reminding them that this very central story of who they are as Jewish people, of who they are in their identity, is born out of these commandments that all of us fail. And so he, he connects them that like, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. And that's uh, still accepted as a pretty good rule of thumb. And that to murder others is to, um, to take away and to put, put ourselves in a place that only God is. And to take another person's life is to, to play the role of God. And, and we're not built for that. We don't have the capacity for it, which is why when people murder... Um, or when they're even forced in murder in uh, like war situations, why it is so damaging to our human psyche. It's not something we are meant to do. We are meant to give life and cultivate life and, and build society and human flourishing, um, not take it. Even though seemingly from human history, it comes very natural to us, which was part of Jesus's point and part of what he was calling those who follow him to begin to do differently, live differently. So, uh, so yeah, verse 21, murder's not good. You all already know that. But then now here's his expansion on that. Here's his what you've heard and now what I say. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers, danger of the fire of hell. Uh, it's like he took that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that sense of overwhelmed or that's impossible that people already felt. And now he goes to level 11 um, and he he just pushes it even farther. I mean, if you get angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Or, Or if a brother and sister say raka, which was this Aramaic word for contempt, so if you have contempt towards someone that you're answerable to court, or if you call someone a fool, you are in the danger of hell. <laughs> like that is, that is, uh, that sounds crazy. What the heck is going on? And uh, when I was reading that word raka, this I don't know why. It's probably because I'm ADD, but I don't know if you remember from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. There's this whole moment early on in the story between the two houses. Um, and the guy like bites his thumb at him and he's like, do you bite your thumb, sir? And he's like, I do bite my thumb, but do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Um, which is a terrible example, but it's what I thought of in this like contempt. All of us know what it is like to feel angry with someone and justified in it. All of us know what it is like to feel contempt towards someone. All of us know what it's like and have called and referred to other people as a fool. And yet Jesus is telling us that those types of moments, those types of emotions that all of us would would kind of say are natural or normal and and maybe even appropriate at times, those those reactions towards another person, our anger, contempt, calling them a fool, slandering them, gossiping about them, judging them, all of those are, are answerable to court, subject to judgment, the dangers of the fire of hell, that they are on par with murder is what Jesus is saying. And the juxtaposition here to this like hyper-religious Jewish world, and, and it would have been kind of in part, like there's like 
a large portion of these Jewish people that Jesus is teaching in the world he grew up in that really, really care about the law and following it and God coming back. But there's another portion of them that have just kind of given up. Like, God's given up on us. Rome's in charge. I've failed too much. My own Jewish people hate me, judge me. I've, you know, have failed me. And, and so Jesus is speaking to this world that just needed a hope higher than religion for all of them. Something better than, can you follow all the rules right enough? And the juxtaposition to this, to this world that he's speaking into is if you're hyper-concerned with the religious rituals and purity and outwardly doing all the things you think you're supposed to do that make you a good, quote-unquote, religious person, but inwardly your heart is full of hate, you have fallen far shorter than you realize when it comes to who God is and what he wants of you. When our love for God gives us permission to not love people, we are wrong. When our love for God and our desire to do what's right gives us permission to be judgmental, to be full of hate or spite or scorn or look down upon others, we should take warning because it's not about just not murdering someone. It's about learning to become more as Jesus was and is and calls us to be for the world around us, to be salt and light. Now, this concept and these ideas would permeate the early church, uh, the first kind of churches spreading around the world. And and we get to hear um, one of the early church leaders, who's known as the Apostle Paul, speak to these concepts a number of different times in a number of different ways as he wrote to Christians living in different major cities or kind of areas. Like um, to all the Christians that were living spread around in towns of Galatia, we have the book of Galatians. Um, Geographically, that's modern day Turkey. And if you go read Galatians 2 and 3, you'll hear this concept of how the law and all the religious following of rituals and trying to be perfect never was good enough and didn't do anything for us. So read Galatians 2 and 3. And then Paul speaks again about this, um, actually in a few other ways, but in Romans chapter 7 and 8, he talks about this. And to the early Christians, especially in the big cities like Rome, um, in Thessalonica and these others, or Corinth, other places like that, they, there would have been plenty of Jewish people who had become Christians and then Gentiles. And so part of what was happening in the early church was that the Jewish people were going, hey, uh, totally cool that Jesus died for us and we're all saved by grace and we don't have to follow these rules, but you still have to do these rituals. And so they were telling people who weren't circumcised to get circumcised, which is a pretty odd one, but was really, really important to them. Um, Or you had to eat certain ways. And they were starting to add all this kind of religiosity on top of what Jesus had accomplished. And uh, there's a bunch of examples of this. Um, Again, read Romans 7 and 8, or Galatians 2 and 3, and you'll hear more of it. But I'll just read these first three verses from Romans chapter 8. And you can hear um, kind of this idea filled out more of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount and how they're trying to live this out now uh, in the first century and then inviting us to do the same thing. And so Paul writes it like this, Romans 8, 1 through 3. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so he's just reminding of all this Jewish religious stuff. It never led people to the fullness of life. It never led them to deeper, more loving relationships with God because it was based on performance and rule following. And we suck at that. And and so instead, we're invited, instead of trying to be perfect, allow Jesus to be perfect. Uh, you, you can actually hear this idea from the author of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, like all the people who've followed and tried to figure out how to live life and love God at the same time through all of history, it's like we're surrounded by all of them and we can learn from them. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And that's not just the sins that maybe are top of mind, like lust and greed and gluttony, but it's also the sins and the things that hinder and entangle us where we're trying to control God with our religious beliefs and our religious performance. Both are sins and both lead us farther from God, not towards wholeness, and they don't help others connect with God. Uh, Rest of verse one, uh, Hebrews 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're invited in Jesus to, to see that he can be perfect, that he was perfect, and that in him, by faith in him, we, we become perfect. The burden of trying to be perfect ourselves gets lifted. The burden of trying to spiritually perform enough, believe enough, know enough, do enough, uh, and we get grace. So Jesus is calling us to a higher way of living, one that does not settle for a low bar of not murdering, though that's a good place to start, but rather a higher bar of agape kind of love. And agape is one of one of the like five words that the ancient Greeks had for, the, for types of love. And agape love is a kind of love that will sacrifice itself for the betterment of other people. And so Jesus is calling us not just to be people who don't murder, but people who become an expression of love even to those who might try to murder us. That we follow this agape enemy loving, pray for those that persecute you, these things that Jesus would talk about is this sense that part of how we love God is how we love other people. It's the kind of love that assumes the best in others, even when there's evidence of the opposite, or or that trusts the best in others, or that um, hopes for the best in others, that chooses to love even when people are enemies, whether imagined they're after us, or real, they're really trying to hurt us, get us, demean us, gossip about us, or kill us. The kind of a love that doesn't speak ill of other people. The kind of love that, that doesn't choose contempt towards others. The kind of love that fully sees itself in the grace of God and all that it doesn't deserve, poor of spirit, 
can become for others an extension of grace that holds no grudges, that loves purely. And, and exactly where Jesus is going to go next, which is why I'll stop here, is by taking a specific religious practice of leaving an offering. Um, because if you're not taking care of other people, then don't pretend to try to love God. Well, God, uh, and I don't know if that's said right or appropriate or not, but the point is like, love is not just this, a thought we have. Do I love God? Yes. Do I love people? Sure. Love is action. And so God invites us, if you want your religion to be, to be mature, to be pure, to be right, if you want your religion, if you want your beliefs, if you want your faith to lead you into deeper relationship with him, just work on loving people as much as you love yourself. That's his point. So I don't know what exactly that will mean for you this week. Um, but I guess if we were to start at the low bar, don't murder anyone this week. Jesus is saying that. He's still saying that. He's like, I'm not trying to get rid of that. That's a good one. But, but let us go farther and let us become more. So also this week, Try to be an extension of love when your reaction is anger or frustration. Try to uh, work to not participate in gossip and things that slander and cut others down. Work to be a, a loving, hoping, trusting person to the world around you. Um, you know, let other people cut you in line because they're in a hurry and that's where they're at and it's okay because you're fine. Um, Find people that, that it would be easy just to sit in criticism and judgment of and find a way to just connect with them, um, practice love. Maybe it's just praying for them. I don't know. But whatever your next step is, that's um, the invitation uh, that Jesus gives us is he defined ultimately love on a cross dying for us. And so in response to that definition of love, you and I are invited to just try to like live like that. Whether we ever know more of the Bible or not or have all our theology right or not, just try to love like he loved, and you'll get you'll get a whole lot farther than you realize. Um, and it is that simple, but incredibly difficult. So um, I hope you have a great rest of your week. And um, yeah, I don't know how you're listening to this podcast, but if it's not through Substack, you should go over there and subscribe. Um, I send emails through there and stay connected lots. Um, you can also follow us on uh, Twitter slash X, whatever it's called now, and Instagram. I think it's Jesus's Dope Pod or Podcast. I'm like that. Look it up. Um, and stay in touch. See you later. Peace.